Well, as I say, good morning, everyone. My name's David. Um, I've been a member here for coming up to 10 years. A long time. A long time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I don't look it. Uh, <laughs> well, there was some comments about the photo in the notice sheet looking a bit younger. Uh, I was younger then. Um, we're going to be looking at Ephesians chapter 1 today as... Um, Vic said, continuing the series looking at Paul's prayer. But before we do that, I want to uh, tell you about one of uh, my colleagues, one of my former colleagues at work. Um, and she was, uh, she still is, a very bright lady, um, but she was known for being a little bit um, dippy, <laughs> not always thinking before she spoke. And uh, uh, she was most famous in the team for speaking to one of our very good clients, quite an important client, uh, one day. And the client said to her, my wife's expecting a baby. And she replied, quick as a flash, is it yours? <laughs> like, and she, she never could really explain why she asked this question. Uh, this, this is in an office environment, everyone's in, it's all very serious, and she goes, is it yours? And uh, fortunately, the guy knew her quite well and uh, handled it quite nice and said uh, that he hoped it was. Um, but that's not actually the story I want to tell you. The story I want to tell you is, um, one Monday, we were, uh, we were having lunch in the canteen. There was a group of us in the canteen having lunch. And this is customary if you work in a work office environment and go to the canteen on a Monday, you talk about your weekends with your colleagues. That's just what you do. Um, and she was talking about how she'd had a really good weekend. And, and she lived in a flat out in Woolwich. It was a converted warehouse. She had the top floor and had quite a big roof above it. She'd bought this flat and she'd lived there for a couple of years. And she said, I discovered at the weekend that my flat had a loft. And we all looked a bit confused and said, but you've lived in this flat for two years. Did an estate agent not show you around? Did they not show you this loft? She's like, no, I had no idea. And we said, well, how did you find out about this loft? And she said, well, I went to get a parcel from my neighbor who lives on the top floor opposite. Um, and um, as they were giving me the parcel in the background in the hall, I saw they had this loft ladder down. They could go up to the loft. And she said, what's that? And they went, it's a loft. And he said, really? Do you have a loft? She said, well, you've got one too. And they actually had to go and take her into a flat, show her the loft hatch. <laughs> In a hall, um, she didn't have a loft ladder, so she had to go and get a ladder, and they showed this loft. And uh, I said to her, I said, she said, it's very big. And I said, is it about the same size as your flat? And she went, yeah, I think it is. It's about the same size as my flat. <laughs> and I said, well, funny that. Funny that, isn't it? It's this. So she was just putting all sorts of things in a, in, a, in a loft over the weekend, and this had uh, been a, a big thing for her. And uh, today, in a slightly tenuous link, we're going to be talking about knowing God better. And for some of us, this would be like my colleague's loft. We may not know God at all, and actually we need to discover it for the first time. We need to be shown that. But actually, for a lot of us, we already know God, we're already Christians, and this is um, about discovering the size and capacity of our loft, if you like, you know, uh, and discovering it afresh. Uh, I told you the link was tenuous, but uh, it was, it, 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 it's there, pro- I trust you. Uh, trust me. Um, so, um, as Vic said, it links with the series on Paul's prayers. So Paul was uh, one of the first apostles, one of the early apostles, and he planted a lot of the um, early churches. Um, and in particular, we're going to be looking at a letter that he wrote because he tended to a, a lot of um, letter writing. He wrote most of the New Testament in the form of letters to these churches that he'd planted to give them advice, to encourage them. And the particular letter we're going to look at is the one to the church in Ephesus, um, which was a large city in Turkey. And it was, in fact, a church that Paul had been very instrumental in planting. He'd lived there for about three years. He'd used Ephesus as a base to go on lots of missionary trips. And during that time, the church had really flourished. This is a few years on. It sounds like the church is still flourishing. Paul is probably in prison at this stage. Um, but he's writing to them um, to encourage them. And within that um, letter, quite early on, there's also a prayer that we're going to look at. So let's turn to um, Ephesians chapter 1. 
Um, so it says this, it says, for this reason, and I'm just going to stop there just to explain the context, so it says, for this reason, if you've ever read any of Paul's letters, you know he doesn't just say, hello, how are you, at the start. He tends to give some quite big introductions, um, really praise-filled introductions to his letters, and, he, and that's what he's been doing in the first 14 verses so far. So he said to the church that um, they, like us, have had been have been blessed in many um, spiritual ways. That they've been chosen by God, they've been adopted into His family, they've been forgiven by Jesus, and they've been sealed. They've been marked out with the Holy Spirit. And so it's for this reason, because they've been sealed with the Holy Spirit. Ever since I heard you about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking, and this is the prayer that we're going to be focusing on today, it says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him, who fills everything in every way. Amen. Good prayer. Um, so great prayer. Um, Paul praying for the church, but as he's come with a lot of Paul's writing, there's an awful lot packed into a few sentences here. It's and that can be quite confusing. And to be honest, when I first read this, I found it quite complicated and actually quite hard to get my head around. So what I'd like to do today um, is to unpack it a bit more, to look at what he's saying and some of the subtleties in the language that Paul is using to fully explore the message of this prayer and what Paul um, is saying to the church in Ephesus and how that applies to us as Christians of City Hope today. Does that sound like a good plan? Good, because I don't have another one. Um, so um, the let's start by looking at the first half of the prayer, which is um, a sort of a general request that Paul makes. He says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. So Paul's praying here that the church may know God better. And this is perhaps the most important prayer we can pray for each other as Christians, that we may get a deeper and more intimate knowledge of God. Um, you may have heard the phrase, man's chief end is to know God and to enjoy him forever. Man's chief end is to know God and enjoy him forever. And that's what Paul is talking about here. And it's amazing that Paul isn't asking that we know more about God. He's not saying that we should go and study him. This isn't like a historical exercise where we look at the Bible and find out about the characteristics of God and some of the things that he's done. What he's saying is that we know God better. This is about a personal relationship with a living God. Paul was talking about this earlier, the personal relationship with a living God. God is amazing, and that is, and this is the relationship that Paul is um, praying that the um, church, that we as Christians, have with God. So how do we build that relationship? What do we need? Well, Paul says that we need um, the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is the presence of God in the world today, and in particular, Paul prays that we get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. You see, as I said when I was talking about knowing about God, it's not about studying and reading the Bible. That's, you know, we really need the Holy Spirit to really know him, to really have him revealed to us. Did many people go to the baptisms last um, Sunday afternoon, David and Marie's baptisms? Quite a good number there, I was there. 
Um, great, I love baptisms. It's great to see uh, people getting baptized into church, to hear their stories of how they um, got to that point. Um, and something that David said um, before he was baptized really um, struck me. Um, he's, he was talking about how he was doing an Alpha course. So an Alpha course, Paul was talking about that earlier, is a course where y- you learn about God, you hear talks, you discuss in groups, you study the Bible, and you do some of that intellectual side of learning about God. And it also includes as part of it um, a day where you pray for the Holy Spirit to come. And, and David said about that day, he said, um, I met God um, in my heart. He wasn't just in my head anymore. So he said, when the Holy Spirit came, I met God in my heart. He wasn't just in my spirit anymore. That's the revelation that happens when the Holy Spirit touches us. That's how we really get to know God is through his Holy Spirit. And perhaps actually the best example of this is the disciples. So the disciples spent three years hanging around with Jesus. and well, do more than hanging around. There was quite a lot of purpose to what they were doing. Um, but they, they went, um, they were with him all the time. They're basically living with him. They saw him do miracles. They heard him teaching. They heard the best ever Bible teacher teaching. They saw him doing amazing miracles. They asked him questions. They saw how he responded to people who asked him some pretty difficult questions. Um, They saw how he related to people. And all of that will have built their wisdom, because wisdom is the ability to make good decisions, to give good advice based on your knowledge and experience. So during that time, they would have got this amazing kind of experience, this amazing wisdom from spending three years being mentored by Jesus. It would have been an amazing experience. But despite this, they didn't really seem to get the big picture when they got to the end of those three years. So Jesus, at the end of that, Jesus um, was crucified and he died. And the disciples were going, well, what's happened? We don't understand. Jesus has been killed. We thought he was going to rebuild the nation of Israel, but it kind of looks the same around us at the moment. We're living in the same situation. What's changed? We don't get it. And um, Jesus then uh, obviously comes back to life um, and meets them a few more times and is taken up to heaven. And it's not actually until... Um, acts that we really see them getting the picture. And what happens is the disciples are all gathered upstairs in a room. They're all gathered together and they're still sort of wondering what's going on and going, what do we do next? And the Holy Spirit comes. We call this Pentecost. And God's power comes on them. And it seems at that point, they actually get the big picture. They suddenly understand it. It's a moment of revelation. So they've done all this three years of gaining wisdom, of gaining knowledge, but when the Spirit comes and they get that revelation, suddenly they understand it. And we know they understand it because immediately they leave that room. They don't go to Bible college for another three years. They immediately leave the room. They preach in Jerusalem, and um, Peter leads the disciples in explaining the whole message of Jesus' resurrection, what it was all about, and 3,000 people become Christians through that spirit coming on them and that revealing to them what God is about and understanding the big picture. So the spirit is, is really important and that's what, um, that's what Paul is talking about here when he's talking about the spirit of wisdom and revelation. The other thing that's, that strikes us perhaps about verse 17 is this is an ongoing thing. So Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus. I said about the first 14 verses, it's quite clear from that that um, he was writing to Christians. They know what God is about but he's saying this is an ongoing process. You need to keep praying this. You need to keep gaining that spirit of wisdom and revelation because you need to keep knowing God better and better. And perhaps we can relate to that a bit if we're Christians in our own Christian life. So um, for me, I became a Christian when I was 12, which is 19 years ago. Um, and it, in the early stages, in the first few years, if people asked me 
about my faith or belief or sort of challenge that, then I would rely a bit on my own mind, my own reasoning, my own intellect. I'd rely on that quite a lot, in fact, to explain why I believed God. I'd talk about maybe some Bible passage I'd heard or some experience that I'd had or I knew someone else was a Christian and they knew what they were talking about, so it must be right. You know, we rely on all these sort of other things, these things of our mind. And over time, as we get to know God more, then we rely less on our own minds and our own sort of feelings and emotions to, for our belief in God. We tend to know that deeper down inside us. It's, it's a process as we get to know God more. And in fact, Tracy explained this way better than me um, this morning because she talked about how um, the Spirit had come on her just the other day, uh, I think it was yesterday, and she said, you think you know him, and then he reveals more of you, or, or words along those lines, but she said, you think you know him, and then you learn more of him because she got filled with the Spirit again and she got more wisdom and more revelation. She got, she got to know more about God through that encounter and what he was like as a good, good father. So it's a process, it's ongoing. So just to summarize then the first part of the prayer, it tells us that we should keep praying for a deeper relationship with God and that we need the Holy Spirit to do that. Now the next half of the prayer talks about some specific aspects of God that we should look to know better. Um, and it says this, it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. So the eyes of our heart being enlightened is the same thing as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. It's what David talks about in his baptism, in his testimony of moving from the head to the heart. So it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So there's three things there that Paul prays that we will know more of when we think about God and we get the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And what we're going to do is to look at each of those in turn and unpack a little bit about what that might mean. So let's start with the hope to which, he is, um, to which we have been called, the hope to which he has called us. Now hope is a really powerful thing. It's a really powerful thing for people. I, I probably, like most of you, have been really struck by the individual stories of people, of refugees who've moved from places like Syria across Asia into Europe. They've gone, they've walked hundreds of miles through dangerous country, um, across dangerous borders, across dangerous seas. And when you hear their individual stories, they're doing that because they have hope of a better life. So that hope is a really important driver in what they're doing. It, it, it's, it's driving them to do all kinds of extraordinary things, often with families and, and young children. So hope is, is, a, is a really important part of being uh, human. And what is the hope that we have been called to as Christians? Well, um, quite often when we talk about calling, we talk about sort of a particular role or ministry. So we might talk about someone being called to a pastor or to lead children's work or to be a teacher or a parent. We talk about all kinds of roles that people, that God may have called people to. But I don't think that's what Paul is referring to here. I think he's talking instead about um, God's calling of us when he chose us to be Christians. And I'm going to pull out a couple of verses just to illustrate that a bit more. So in Romans 8, which is another letter written by Paul, he says, And those he predestined or chose, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. <laughs> and earlier in Ephesians chapter 1, it, it sort of puts this in a slightly different way. It says, For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
And this is what I think Paul is talking about when he talks about the hope to which we have been called. See, God has chosen each and every one of us as Christians. He called us individually before um, the world began, and he chose us to be like him, to be like God, to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that's a bit sort of counterintuitive to us because we're like, well, well, I hope we, we all know that we're not holy and we do things wrong and uh, we can't be blameless in God's sight. But actually, because Jesus died in our place and God sees us through Jesus' death and through Jesus and what he's done for us, we will one day appear before God in heaven, holy and blameless in his sight. And that is like just a mind-blowing thing. And this is where the spirit of wisdom and revelation comes back in again. Because if we try and think about all this stuff and comprehend it and write it down and think about the logic of it, I've got a maths background and I try and logic and reasoning everything. That's what I do. But you can't really logic and reason in this stuff. You need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to really um, just know what this is about. And we need more more of that because it's just so big. It, it, It just takes us ages to understand. It's a massive thing. And if we do know this hope, and, and you know, this is a hope that we can rely on. I, I talked about the hope of the refugees. Their hope, in some ways, is a bit flaky. They're relying on us and European governments and all that kind of stuff, which you can't really hope in, 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 in at all. But um, they are, they, we, our hope is in a faithful and loving God. And um, if he's chosen to save us and to make us holy, this should be d- just a massive source of comfort for us when we're struggling, when we find things difficult. It can encourage us to go on, encourage us to do great things. Um, encourage us to go to um, Serbia with Dave. And there's lots of things that it encourages us to do, to be thankful, to be joyful, and just, you know, just always be thanking God for the hope that we have. And if you're not a Christian and you don't know that hope, and you think, I want to know more about that, then I'd really encourage you to come and talk to me or one of the leaders you've seen or someone you've come with um, after the service, because uh, it's, it's an amazing thing to find out about. So that's the, the first thing that Paul says that we should pray for more knowledge of. And the second thing is the riches of his glorious inheritance in us. So that baby's got quite a good inheritance, if uh, you're thinking in, in monetary terms. Um, now, this is something that will happen in the future. So we were called in the past. We've talked about the past. We're now talking about what's going to happen in the future. And we need to read this really carefully, because I think quite often we read this as our inheritance, like that baby. It's the, in- the, the inheritance that we have that will go to heaven. But that's not actually what it says. It says the riches of his, God's glorious inheritance in us. And that's a different, slightly different way of thinking. This is thinking about God's perspective of it. And actually, if we look um, back in Ephesians 1 again, and at verses 5 and 11, it tells a bit more about this. It says that we are God's treasured possessions, that we are his children, and that we are born to glorify him. So God places this amazing value on us. We are his treasured possessions. We are highly valued. And again, that's something that's really important for us to know and appreciate, and, and, and it's life-changing. If we think of ourselves belonging to God, it's a really life-changing thing. And again, it's a massive thing and something that we need the Spirit to fully know and comprehend. So if we take these two together, if we take the hope to which he has called us and the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, actually what we have here is God's eternal plan. So at the s- God chose us before the world began to be holy and blameless, and through the death of Jesus that was achieved, and that's so that we can give him glory, so that we can become his glorious inheritance. And both of those are about God's perspective. We need to make sure we, ha- we have that viewpoint, that we understand the big picture, that uh, how we fit into the overall plan.
so lastly, um, Paul prays that we may know his incomparably great power for us. So I've said the first two together are the past and the future, and they describe God's eternal plan. Lastly, what Paul is praying about is the present, God's power in us today. This is what we have now. And to me here, the order is important because Paul hasn't gone past, present, future, which would be the sort of traditional way of doing things about time. He's done past, future, present. And I think that's because Paul says you need to understand the plan first and how we fit into the big picture before we start knowing the power, before we start thinking about God's power in, in us today. And I think sometimes for us it's easy to forego the bit about knowing God, to spend time reading the Bible, um, to um, pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation, and instead we can be a bit inward-looking. We focus on the, well, how can I be more spiritual? How can I be more successful? Um, how can I be more holy? And we forget that God's plan comes first, that we are, it's his calling of us, it's his inheritance, and that's so that he can work, so that his vision can be achieved. And, and I'm not saying it's wrong to ask these things. I mean, asking for personal spiritual growth is really is important. That's something the Bible talks about. But you need to just approach that from the right perspective. It's God's plan first. Understand the heart of the problem first. See God's vision first and the bigger picture and then see how we fit into it afterwards. And just sort of like, in some ways, it's a bit of a trivial example, but um, I've worked in the same department um, at my uh, work for 10 years, about as long as I've been here. Um, and we do very specialist um, financial maths in the insurance sector. It's very glamorous. It's very glamorous. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I, as I say, I've been doing that for a long time. But the, the department I work in is extremely well respected in what we do. So quite often our clients come to us, and we've had clients for many, many years. And the reason that is is because we've got a lot of really good people. We know what we're doing. We have some great spreadsheets, some really good spreadsheets. <laughs> um, and we're just really well known for what we do because we've just got this track record of doing it. Um, and over the, the 10 years that I've been at the um, department, it's grown quite a bit. That's not really because of me, but because of everything else, it's grown quite a bit. Um, but in the last couple of years, we've been a bit leaderless. There's sort of been some transitions in the, in the leadership. And although we've continued to do, uh, all our clients are very happy, we continue to do a good job, we continue to use all our amazing spreadsheets um, and uh, all the knowledge that we have, we've not really grown any further in the last couple of years. We've not really achieved our potential because we've been a bit directionless. So things have been going in slightly different directions. And I think that's what Paul is talking about in the order here, is you need to understand the big picture and the vision so that the power is as effective as it can be today. So your spreadsheets reach the aim that you, you want them to. Yeah, does that make sense? It's a bit, it's a bit of a funny example because I'm comparing spreadsheets with God's power, which isn't the best. <laughs> Some, some may argue, but it's not the, it's not the best likeness. <laughs> but you know, that the vision and the direction is really um, important in order to make the best use of all this, the tools that you have. And for us as Christians, that main tool is God's power. And this, of course, works the other way too. So even if you get the vision really well, it's useless unless you have the power too, unless you know the power too. Because um, the power is the thing that enables us to enact that vision today, to put it into practice, to play that out. And note here that it's about knowing the power. It's not about having the power. We have the power as Christians. When the Holy Spirit comes on us, that power um, is there. We already have it. Um, it's about opening our eyes to see it. Um, 
we read at the start the rest of the passage, verses 19 to 21, which, which goes further about describing this incomparable great power. It says, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at, a, at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. So the power that we have in us today is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. And when I was reading this, I was reminded of the song we've been singing, the Hillsong song we've been singing quite a lot at the moment, which says, um, the same power that conquered the grave lives in me, lives in me. We've been singing that quite a lot. And normally when we sing it, um, a lot of people come up and share testimony about God's power, and then we sing it again. And you know, it's just a really evocative song. It's a really powerful song. And that's what Paul is talking about here. It's his power. And in fact, he goes beyond that. He says, not only is it the power that raised Jesus from the dead, but it took him, it seated him by the right hand of God and put him over all power. He made, made him the most um, powerful, you know, he rules over everything. So it's an amazing power. And that power is the power that lives in us. And again, that is massive, right? It's hard to reason. It's hard to understand. And that's, again, why we need the spirit of wisdom and revelation to reveal that to us um, so that we can know better the power that sits in each of us. Um, so in summary, I've, gone, I've probably spoken really quick, which is why uh, <laughs> the time has flown by. But just to kind of draw this together, um, God has already done it, right? The plan is already there. His eternal plan is already there. We were chosen before time. And our challenge is to know more and more of that plan um, God's power is already in us. He's already done it. If we're Christians, that power already sits within us. And we need to pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation that we may understand more of it. We can read this chapter as much as we like and other parts of the Bible. We can memorize it, but that's not enough. We need the Holy Spirit. We need God's help. We need to pray so that we can know more about each of these things. And I think this message is, is well timed for us. Um, uh, Vic was talking about sort of the link with prayer and the 36 hours of prayer. But to me, this links really well with the 36 hours of prayer. I think sometimes it's quite hard for us to know what to pray for others in the church, for particular leaders in the church, for ministry areas, for our connect groups. But actually, this is just a great sort of simple prayer to keep praying for the leaders in the church, other members of the church, for our connect groups, that we may get more of the spirit of wisdom and revelation, that we may learn more of what God has installed for us. Because if we want to uh, achieve the vision that God has set out for City Hope and for us as a church, then it's really important that we know more about God's p vision, how we fit into that. And it's really important that we know more about the power that he's put in us so that we can see that um, enacted out. And the other thing that Simon's really played for, I was, um, Paul mentioned about the Alpha Course and 14 people signed up for the Alpha Course. We should be praying for them too, that they may know the spirit of wisdom and revelation for the first time and come to know God better, like David had and talked about his baptism last week. We, we should pray for the spirit of wisdom and revelation uh, for those on the Alpha Course. It's a great thing to pray for. Um, so I was going to wrap up there. Vic, Paul, I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add, otherwise I'll pray for us. Or John? There's a mic down there, I think. Dave, that was just great. Thanks. Um, as Dave was talking about uh, what we're about, about what we're made for, um, we're made for something. We are made for something. 
Bedford with the kids. Hi kids. Look at my little baby grandson when he's crying. Oh, look at that. <laughs> Looking at that present. Uh, you know, I could be a little baby toy. Very good. <laughs> uh, it could chop up your food if you haven't had a knife. <laughs> but for me, probably <laughs> not actually doing that now. <laughs> Get it in the right order. But it was made for something. It wasn't made to be a baby toy. It wasn't made to clear out your ear. It wasn't made to stop us seeing. It was made to do other things. It wasn't made to go in a car. It was made to get you somewhere. And we can spend a lot of our lives, whether we're a Christian or not a Christian, actually doing things we're not meant to. And what Dave's been talking about is about what we're made for. Why waste our time being stuck in what we're made for? And we are made, and you are made, and I am made to know God. I'm made to be a worshipper. <coughs> that's what you're made for, that's what I'm made for. That's the sticky pants, sadly. I, I'm sure it's not. I'm going to Manchester to worship. Human beings are made to worship. Whether it's at a Metallica uh, uh, concert or a football match or a knitting congress, people <laughs> are made to worship. But we've heard today one who is majestic, one who is above all things, uh, who we are made to worship. Mm. Don't waste your time worshiping the wrong thing. I, I, I will celebrate when Slim Jean is in the middle of the But we are made to worship God. We are made to know God. And whether you're not a Christian, this is the first time you heard it. Explore this. Don't miss off the opportunity to know why you are made, what you are made for. And like me, Dave's challenged me afresh. And if you guys look at I want to know him better. That's what we're made for. Amen. Cool. That's it. Cool. Um, should we stand and pray together? That'd be good to finish off. Lord, I thank you for the many blessings you poured out on us as a church. I thank you that you have chosen us, you have adopted us into your family, uh, that, you, that you sent your son to die for us so that we may one day stand blameless and holy before you, Lord. I thank you for that promise. And I pray that for all of us uh, in this church and for all of us as Christians, Lord, that we may um, continue to know you better, that you may send your spirit of wisdom and revelation afresh on us today, Lord, that we may... Uh, know more of your amazing plan and vision that you help us to just understand the enormity of it, Lord, afresh. And I pray um, for City Hope as we think about the, uh, the vision and next steps, Lord, that you will help us to know more of the power that you have placed in each of us, that we may um, just understand more and more of that so that we may see your vision um, played out in front of us, Lord, that we may see this church continue to grow and continue to thrive. And I pray for those um, coming up on the Alpha Course and those who aren't Christians, Lord, that they may know for the first time your spirit of wisdom and revelation. We want to see this church grow in number. We want to see people added to it, Lord. And we pray for your spirit to come on those people so they may 
they may know it deep down in their hearts, Lord Jesus. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.